we are starting a brand new teaching series this Sunday called Risen, and the N in Risen is purposely sunk down a little bit because the theme of this teaching series really has to do with the reality that because Jesus is risen, we too can rise, and that the resurrection of Jesus has real implications not just for the future, though we praise God for that, but in the now of our lives. And we're going to start that by looking at a very special character in the scriptures who sometimes is overlooked and who sometimes is misunderstood. And her name is Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. If you have a copy of the scriptures, feel free to to turn to John chapter 20. If not, just listen along as I read this passage to you. John writes, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and he believed. Well, they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And at that she turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. So there we have the account of the very first appearance of the resurrected Jesus, and it's to this woman named Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And we'll find out as we go on, this is a quite unusual first story to happen. If you want there to be a witness to a glorious moment, It is not a woman like Mary who you want to be the first ambassador of the news. And yet Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. 
that a message of restoration for a broken world needed to be delivered by a broken woman. And in so doing, there could be hope for a broken humanity. So this morning as we consider the story of Mary, I think we can get to the root of what's going on if we look at the two questions that Jesus asks her. Did you catch those questions as we read the story? Jesus first asks her, Mary, why are you crying? And the second question he asked her is, Mary, who is it that you are looking for? And so we want to spend the next several minutes together considering these questions and getting to the root of what was going on in Mary's heart so that we can see this morning that the resurrection provides real hope for broken people like us. Jesus says to Mary, Mary, why are you crying? And we, as onlookers and readers of the story, think, goodness, you know the answer to this, Jesus. She's crying because she's desperately broken. Mary is broken-hearted. Someone who was very close to her, very dear to her, so important to her, is gone. She was there to witness the unbearable torture that he went through. She watched him suffer. She was present as he tragically died. And she was involved in preparing him for burial. This person who was so close to her, the most loved of loved ones, she watches the agony of suffering. She watches him breathe his last in a tragic death. And she takes care of the funeral preparations. Utter grief. Can you relate to her? Can you relate to Mary this morning? Have you felt that kind of brokenheartedness? That kind of grief? Brokenheartedness truly comes from not just simply losing someone important to you, but someone, I would say, or something that in fact gives you identity, gives you you purpose, gives you wholeness, provides you with acceptance, significance, security. These three things that make up the identity all of us are searching for in the life that we live. And like many of us, Mary is suffering from a broken heart at the loss of someone or something so close and so important, in many ways providing wholeness and defining us through death or for some of us through distance. Distance maybe that is geographical. Maybe you're far away from the ones that you love or the things that you love. Maybe distance isn't geographical, but it's relational. It's a broken relationship, and your heart is broken because of it. There's been harm to a relationship. There's been damage to it. It has come to an end in some way. Or maybe it's something, a job or possessions or a societal ideal that you hold on to, and it is not able to be held on to anymore. I wonder, can you relate to Mary? I think most of us can. 
See, Mary had in Jesus found this identity that I'm talking about. She had found true acceptance and true significance and true and genuine security. We don't know almost anything about Mary's past except this simple statement in Luke chapter 8. That Jesus had healed her of seven devils. Seven demons. Now, many people have speculated, what are these seven demons? Are they literal demons? And quite certainly that could be the case. Or is it some level of burden or baggage that she's carrying? Is it some semblance of sin or mistakes falling short of God's standards? Any of these could be true. We are not privy to exactly what happened when Jesus healed her. But two things we can be certain of this morning. The first is that these seven devils defined her. Because when the gospel writers want to clue us in on her past, this is the information they give us. They would have defined her societally. They would have defined her spiritually. They would have defined her socially. And in all cases, defined her as less than. Not meeting up to the standard. An outcast of sorts. But when she meets Jesus, she finds this true healing. The second thing that we can be certain of in regard to these devils that Mary encounters is that they defined her completely. Now, it could well be that there were literally seven of them, but we understand that seven is is a, a number that carries a very spiritual sense of completeness. And so the story of the healing that Mary encounters in Jesus is a story of complete bondage and brokenness that leads to complete and utter healing in Jesus. That which had defined her, her brokenness, was no more. Now defined solely and singularly by Jesus himself. And we can see in Mary this very thing. We see it in her affection for Jesus. If you read the stories of Jesus throughout the New Testament, you would be hard-pressed to find someone who loved Jesus more than Mary Magdalene. The Scriptures tell us that she left what she was doing and traveled with him. She was a follower. The Scriptures tell us that she gave him of her financial resources to support the ministry he was doing. And at the cross, when all of his disciples ran away, she stayed to the bitter end. There's a beautiful piece of art that shows Mary Magdalene helping Joseph of Arimathea to take the dead and lifeless body of Jesus off the cross. This is utter love. Utter love because she had been completely broken. The great preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards related Mary Magdalene to the the sinful woman who anointed Jesus with perfume, with costly perfume. And his conclusion was, in order to have the kind of affection for Jesus that you would lavish such gifts on him, you had to be as broken as Mary. 
And her brokenness was symbolized in the broken alabaster jar from which the perfume could pour out. See, the people who need Jesus the most tend to experience Jesus the most and therefore often love Jesus the most. I wonder this morning if you can relate to Mary. If you've been broken in this world, have you experienced brokenness in this world? What are your seven devils? Maybe it's not literal demons for you. Maybe it's the burdens that you're carrying through this life. Maybe it's the ways in which you feel like you've never really measured up to what society or your picture of God or your social group would want. Maybe it's massive mistakes that you feel like you've made that that have defined you for so long. Maybe it's things that have happened to you that you've allowed to define you. You're carrying this heavy baggage this morning. I wonder how many of us can relate to Mary. How many of us are willing in our own spirit to admit just how broken we really are? Just how much we are in need of the kind of acceptance and significance and security that is unending, that only Jesus can provide. And Mary had found this. She had found it and she had given her life to Jesus as a result of it and was following him and pouring into him and supporting him and, and, and listening to everything he said and it was changing her life and it led to the cross. And suddenly... He was gone. The very thing that she held on to for identity and life and security was no more. Was her identity gone? Was her life over too? Certainly these are the things that are going through her head. She's pondering the ramifications of the death of Jesus. Why is Mary crying? Her heart is broken. And she is broken. And this morning I wonder, not how many of us can relate to Mary, but how many of us are ready to admit that we can relate to Mary. Jesus doesn't leave it there. He takes the first question and he asks the second question. And in many ways it's a follow-up question. And in many ways, it's a clarifying question. It cuts right to the heart of the issue. Because it's not about the external realities of her tears and pain, but what's going on inside. And Jesus gets right at the heart of it and he says, who is it that you're looking for? And again, to casual onlookers, they're like, well, we know who who she's looking for. She's looking for the body of Jesus. But Jesus knew that really wasn't what she was after. See, the truth of the matter is that Mary was looking for life in the place of death. You see it? Here she is roaming around a tomb looking for life. Now, we know that she's not looking for a resurrected Jesus. 
She's probably heard Jesus talk about some of these things, but she hasn't put the pieces together. She's not looking for a lively Jesus. She's looking for his dead body, okay? We know this because when she gets there and finds the tomb empty, she doesn't say, oh, maybe he rose. She says, who took the body, right? So if she's looking for life, what kind of life is she looking for? And this morning, I want to suggest to you she's looking for her life. The life that she had that is now gone. And she's desperate to at least provide one last act of service to honor this Jesus who she loves so much. And she can't even do that because the body is gone. I wonder if this morning you can relate to Mary. If you've spent a lot of time in this life looking for life in dead places. I wonder if you've spent a lot of time looking for identity, looking for acceptance, significance, and security in this earth and found it empty like Mary. So many of us long for the fulfillment of these realities in our life because they will give us true meaning, true purpose, true value, real identity. And so we go hard after our work and we go hard after raising a family that looks the right way and we go hard after attaining possessions and we go hard after being part of the right circle of friends and all of these things. And what the prophets have long reminded us in the Old Testament is we are putting coins into pockets with holes. It never gets at the core issue. And so this morning, I ask you the question I think Jesus would ask if he was here. What are you really looking for? Who is it that you're really searching for? But here's the thing about Jesus. He loves to ask questions that only he can truly answer, right? He does this all the time, especially in the Gospel of John. And so as she's saying to him, well, obviously I'm looking for this body. If you took it, tell me where it is, and I'll put it back. And he says, Mary. And in the very moment that he speaks her name, she knows who he is. Her eyes are opened. And she realizes that the deep thing in her soul that she had truly been searching for is right there. In front of her. I think in the same moment that she recognized Jesus, the thing that came flooding to her mind that ought to come flooding to our minds when we think about a resurrected Jesus is that everything he said and everything he's done has just been validated. He said he was going to die and that he would rise again three days later. Validated. He said that he was the true Messiah, the one who could finally bridge the gap between a broken humanity and a holy God. Validated. And let me be personal with you for a minute. He said to a brokenhearted and a broken Mary, you have the identity you're searching for in me. Validated. You want acceptance, significance, security. Here it is. 
And in that moment, certainly these things are running through her mind. And so she grabs at Jesus, the storyteller tells us, right? And there's this weird moment. Like if we're reading the story honestly, there's a very weird moment that happens next where Jesus is like, don't touch me, right? This is, there's this whole really emotional moment, right? He's like, Mary. And she's like, teacher. And we expect in the cinematic movies this dynamic embrace and all is right in the world. And she comes at him and he's like, don't touch me. Right? This is weird. You know, this doesn't make any sense in the storyline. But Jesus knows what's going on. See, Mary's trying to cling to her past understanding of Jesus. And he wants her to know something radically different is afoot. Mary wants to hold and grab the feet of Rabbi Jesus who had taught her an identity she could have, could have. And instead, King Jesus wants Mary to know that it is an identity that she does have now. Catch what what he says to her. Don't touch me. Why? I must ascend to the Father. Was he speaking literally? Maybe. Like maybe he had to go up to, 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 to the father and he had quite hadn't done that yet. Mary had caught him in the midst of it. That could be true. We don't really know. But the language that is happening here is he's talking about, I haven't been made full king yet. Now, I think it's narrative. He's saying to her, have you received me as king? Or am I just the prophet who's talked about all this? Are you grabbing the feet of Rabbi Jesus or bowing at the feet of King Jesus? To ascend is not for him to go far off to heaven and be gone from them. It's to ascend to the throne that God had said is rightfully his. This is why the famous creed of the early church is not Jesus is risen. It is Jesus is Lord. And so Paul would write to the Philippians that Jesus considered equality with God not something that Jesus would grab, because there's something bigger to come. But instead, he would set it aside and he would descend into the earth, into the humanity. He would take on the form of humanity, and not just humanity, but a bondservant. And not just a servant, but he would be obedient even to the point of death. And not just a regular death, but a death on a cross, a tree, kicked out of the people of God. Full brokenness. Why? So that at his resurrection, he might be raised up. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is risen. Well, that's implied. No. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you an English translation for Lord. King. Ruler of all. He's the one that I follow. So Jesus is saying, something radically different has happened here. You're trying to hold on to this this rabbi version of Jesus, and I'm telling you something greater for the whole world has just happened in the resurrection. See, for Mary, she thought that the appearance of Jesus meant life could go back to how it was before the death of Jesus. That seems really good, doesn't it? But can I give you better news? What really happens at the resurrection is life can go back to how it was before death itself. Before death itself. 
Before the arrival of sin, before the arrival of brokenness to our world, when everything was as it should be, the Hebrew word shalom, the translated peace, which actually means wholeness, unbrokenness. Jesus is saying, what has just happened here is far greater than the life I locked with you a few days ago, but it is now the whole new creation that is upon you. And so Mary when she screws up and doesn't know who Jesus is and calls him a gardener, ironically, is so right. Because Jesus has reminded us what life can be like in the Garden of Eden itself. That he is the divine gardener, the sower and the cultivator of the new garden of God, the world as it is. Should be. And so what he's saying to Mary is, Mary, this Easter, I'm not giving you a trite. It'll be okay. Just hang on. I know you're broken. If you can hold on to the end, it'll be all right. He said, no, I've done a new thing. The old has passed. The new is here. If anyone believes in Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The gardener is present and is sowing a new kingdom, and we experience it now and in its fullness later. We long for the day when the garden is fully planted, when Jesus returns and all brokenness is sown up into wholeness once and for all, when all wrongs are fully righted by King Jesus. This is what we have to look forward to. It's not that just the rest of your life you hold on, hold on, hold on, and then heaven's going to be such a party It's that in this life, you can endure some level of brokenness because Jesus' work on the cross is validated in his resurrection. And therefore, every single wrong will be made right. The brokenness that you experience now, you won't just forget about it in the future earth and kingdom of Jesus. He will make it right. He is the shalom we long for. This is the only way we endure this life that we're embroiled in now. We taste it now. We know it's true. We see the budding of springtime. But we know when its fullness comes, our fullness there will be also. Friends, you do not have to grab at some Sunday school version of a Jesus who talks about things in the future. This morning, I introduce you to the divine gardener, King Jesus, who says, here I am. If you would embrace me, you would enter. And look what he does. He waits for the disciples to leave, doesn't he? He's like, Peter and John are here. That'd be a great time to show up. No, let them go back. Mary, when you're here by yourself, then he appears. Why does this happen? I think because she's the perfect first ambassador. He wants everyone that's going to follow him to know this is what we're talking about right here. Not some future high and lofty, you know, prophet or evangelist. Mary, do we know if she ever did something of substance afterwards? I don't know. It's possible. It's true. It likely is true. Her fame is for her agony at the cross. And Jesus says, this is my first ambassador. The one who needs me the most has experienced me the most and loves me the most. 
Bernard of Clairvaux, one of the fathers of the church, said, Mary Magdalene becomes the apostle to the apostles. How beautiful is this? That Jesus chooses her to be the one to tell the disciples before he even gets to them, this is what's happened, and he is Lord. And don't miss what's going on when Jesus says, I'm the king of uh, of the world. What he's actually doing is not just opening up the chance for Mary to grab his foot, but the chance for Mary to enter the very presence of God himself. Do you see this? It's the nearness of God, if you're with us in the Philippian series that we talked about last time, that is presence in, present in Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, Mary, don't hold on to me. I've got to ascend. Go, go, to, my, go to the brothers and tell them that I must ascend to my Lord and your Lord, to my God and your God. Did you catch that? The first time Jesus ever talks like this. It's always my Father. Now he says, it's your Father. He says, Mary, go tell them I'm going to my Father Oh, and, and your Father. It's our Father. First time he ever does this. What Jesus has just done has provided the nearness of God to the brokenness of humanity. And... Check out what's going on inside the tomb. It's this beautiful picture inside the tomb, right? Inside the tomb, Mary finds two angels. And I think there's some beautiful imagery going on here. I really do. If we take ourselves all the way back to the Garden of Eden, at the first instance of brokenness in our world, when Adam and Eve choose their kingdom instead of, king, uh, instead of God's kingdom, and punishment is levied on them. And what, the, the, the greatest punishment is the loss of the nearness of God, right? He says that you can't be in the garden anymore. And what does God do to make sure that happens? He positions two angels to stand guard. And now in the tomb, here are two angels sitting down at the empty linens of Christ, as if to say, no more guard. And this isn't news to us, because earlier in John's gospel, the veil had been torn. The veil that had separated all of humanity from the presence of God had been torn. Now listen to what the gospel writer says here. Catch the details of what's going on. Did you notice this? It's got to be important to John, otherwise he wouldn't say it. He says there were two angels there, seated there. But then he goes on even more detail. Did you catch what he said? One at his head and one at his feet. Now what on earth is this all about? Friends, it's the Ark of the Covenant. Do you see it? The cherubims that were positioned at the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, one at the head and one at the feet, declaring that no one could enter into the presence of God. And yet, here goes Mary, right into the tomb, right into the presence of God. The resurrected Jesus is the new Ark of the Covenant, the new presence of God, full access to God for even the most broken people, even, catch this, people who can't recognize Jesus when they see him. Now tell me this isn't good news for broken people like me. Friends, this is the gospel. I want to finish by taking these same two questions that Jesus asked Mary. And I want to ask those two questions of Jesus. And hopefully that lands us where we need to land this morning. Did you ever ask this question of Jesus? Jesus, what makes you cry? You know, in our sort of Western um, version of Jesus, where we we sometimes overemphasize his divinity at the loss of his humanity, catch me a little bit. We sometimes lose the 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 
power of the emotions of Jesus. And for this stoic German dude, it's really hard to comprehend, right? But we see instances of Jesus crying. And if you think about them, they, they tell you something really important. Jesus cries. Remember everyone's favorite verse to memorize in John chapter 11? Jesus wept, right? Have you got that now? You've all memorized the Bible verse, right? Why did Jesus weep? Jesus wept because his good friend Lazarus was dead. He was brokenhearted. Do you see this? Now, what's fascinating about this story, if you read it more, is Jesus knew good and well he was going to raise him from the dead. This was a short-lived reality. Why cry? Like, if I was Jesus, right? Let me, here we go. I like to tell Jesus what to do sometimes, if you're new with me. If I was Jesus, I'm not wasting tears over this. I'm rolling in and saying, boom, there's Lazarus. I want applause, not tears, right? But Jesus lets us behind the curtains for just a moment. And what he wants us to know as all of humanity is, his heart breaks when our heart breaks. He feels it. He's not passive when you've lost someone close to you. He's not passive when you've gone through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not passive when the people who you thought were your friends have now distanced themselves from you. I picture the Jesus who cries regularly because he loves us. The same Jesus who had no business really crying about Lazarus. He was literally going to resurrect him from the dead in minutes. And it says he, he wept. He didn't just shed a tear. Like he sobbed over the brokenness of this world. Second, thing, second time we see Jesus crying, it says Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Remember this story? He's passing by, and he looks at Jerusalem, this huge city that is built and dedicated to the, to the worship of God, and he looks at it, and he begins to weep, and he says, oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew where you could find your true identity, but you're looking for it in all the wrong places. I think Jesus weeps when he looks at my life. He says, Adam, if you only knew what it would mean to grab on to King Jesus and be near God. And stop trying so hard in your performance as a pastor or your performance as a dad or your performance in society as an attainer of goods and stuff. And if you really just went after me, if you only knew the bounty of joy and wholeness that was yours. I think Jesus weeps over me regularly. What about you? He says to you this morning, who is it that you're looking for? And then, most powerfully on the cross, we're told that Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many times that's just taken as a loud shout, a cry out, but no, this is emotional words. I think he was weeping when he said it. Why? Because in that moment, the full amount of the brokenness of the world was laid on him. He felt brokenness like no one else has ever felt brokenness. All the sevens of every human all the seven devils and the seven scars from Dante and the seven sins from Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and everything that has 
bogged you down and defined you in your past and kept you in the muck and the dirt on him and at once. And he cries out with a loud cry of solidarity with a broken humanity. And at the same moment, he cries out because the nearness of God is removed from him. God, why have you forsaken me? See, what's happening on the cross, what makes Jesus cry is that Jesus experiences the fullness of brokenness. So that broken people like Mary, and like me, and like you, can know what wholeness and shalom truly is. He experiences the farness of God so that Mary can walk into a tomb representing the Ark of the Covenant and Jesus can say, he's your God, he's your dad, he's yours. Full bounty of the kingdom of heaven, yours. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Then we ask Jesus, who is it that you're looking for, Jesus? And I think the answer is loud and clear. It's you. And I think far too often we in the Western modern church over-individualize things when Jesus is speaking collectively. I think he's speaking collectively. But because he singles out Mary individually, there's something very personal going on here. I think this morning he would do the same thing for you. I think this morning, to show you just how much he loves you, he would wait for this whole church to clear out. He would find you in the corner, broken. And I think he would call you by your name, even if you couldn't recognize him. Because he loves you. Because he's cried all kinds of tears over you. Over the brokenness you've experienced in this life that was never part of his plan. And over all the foolhardy errands in the wilderness to try to attain some kind of identity that was always rightfully yours in him. This morning he, he waits the crowds to clear out and I think if you give him a moment, he'll call you by name. Even if you don't recognize him. He says to you, Adam, I'm ascending. It's not some promises I gave pre-cross. This is all validated. You don't have to hold on to some trite spiritual hope for a future escape. The kingdom of God is now. I am ascending. To my God and your God, Adam. To my Father and your Father, Adam. Look back at that tomb you just peeked in, Adam. You were welcomed right into the very presence of God. No lightning striking you down. No angels kicking you out. No flashing glowing swords like Genesis chapter 3. No, right in. Friends, There are so many false ideas about God in our world. Can I tell you the truth this morning? The God of the universe is desperately in love with you. He's not worried about what you've done or what baggage you bring to the moment. He says, yeah, it's exactly you or the exact one I'm after, the broken one. If your life's all together and you're believing the lie that you've got everything together, then you have no need for Jesus. 
But my prayer is one day you'll stop believing the facade you've created. Because you were putting coins in a pocket with holes. And this morning, Jesus asks you a question that only he can truly answer. Who is it that you're looking for? And if you give him a moment, I'm convinced he's going to call you by name. Not out loud, but you know what I mean. And you're going to say, you don't understand, and he's going to say, oh, yes, I do. I was broken just like you. I'm broken when you're broken. I'm brokenhearted when you're brokenhearted. If you're looking for true acceptance and significance and security, this is the place. God is near. You have full access to him. You do not simply have to hold on and hope for a future escape. You can endure in the moment. Because the divine gardener is sowing the garden. And the first blooms are happening in our lives. And the wholeness that only Jesus can offer is beginning to be breathed into our lungs by the one who had created all things and is now creating all things new. I do not know where you have come from or why you are here, but I am convinced all of us are searching for what I've just said. My prayer is that you may find it. Can I pray with you?